I'm just going to say it. There are events that are purely enrollment events, and they're kind of this bait and switch thing where they say they're going to be valuable and really they want to sell you something. Really, all they care about is like the profit or the money. That for me is not having a pure and good intention, right? Like for me, the experience comes first and the profits are a byproduct of delivering an incredible experience. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. So excited to bring a dear friend and a guest to this show who's going to speak a bit more about what are the benefits of adding live experiences to our product suite. If you've ever been to conventions, events, and you're wondering perhaps you'd love to include things such as retreats in your own business ecosystem, we're gonna talk about the benefits of doing so, why right now is one of the best opportunities to do so as we've just finished what is a indoor lockdown pandemic ecosystem to now everyone thriving for connections. We'll look at the various ways we can do this more successfully and of course, sprinkle in some insights on how to sell these events more successfully as well. My guest today, Tanya Lopez, is an experienced designer, a business strategy, and a coach for conscious female entrepreneurs and has a background for working at Mindvalley as the head of events and was a creative director for AFEST, the transformational festival where the world's elite come together for having life-changing experiences. I've personally had a chance to work with Tanya during my time at Mindvalley, and I'm so excited that she's here to share with us some of the insights that she puts together to help help other creators go out there and put together life transformative events. So excited to have you, Tanya. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk events and experiences with you. Yes. And, you know, our background was while we were inside Mindvalley. And I'd love for you to kind of share before you even got into Mindvalley, like, did you always have a passion for creating live events? Or is that something that you generated while you were at Mindvalley? Yeah, it was a little bit of a mix of both. So I actually started my career in corporate America in corporate communications. And I was working for big companies like NBC, which is one of the major TV networks in the US, as well as Nike. And there I was on the PR side of things. So I was handling publicity for the companies. And sometimes this involved like smaller, intimate press events. So events that we would do for members of the media. So I was exposed to events here and I really loved them. And, you know, working for companies like Nike, you can imagine like the scale of some of the events that we put on. Um, But really, it was a big career shift for me when I, you know, won this job, (laughs) won this contest for the world's most awesome job, which is just so crazy, and moved to Malaysia and started doing events. So that was really a new thing for me to go into full scale event production in the transformational event space was something that was new for me and started at that point. Very cool. I can now see some of the nuances that you've always put into events that I've got to witness while working together. You very much pay attention to the experience. And, you know, for most people who might be putting together an event, it's like, all right, put together a page, book a hotel room, just put everyone in there, teach them some stuff and let them walk out. In your case, you've started paying attention to a lot of the details, like the experience that people were actually having there. And I'd love to kind of unpack, like, what is it that you noticed that you could do differently? And why was it so special when you did it? Yeah, I think that it was quite 
a journey of, you know, starting out and finding what works and fine tuning it over the years. It definitely wasn't something that I just kind of hit the ground running with. But I would say that what started to emerge for me over time was that people don't want to attend an event. They want an experience. They want to be guided through an experience. And that really started to become the crux of what I was doing is what are people experiencing from the moment they arrive until the moment they leave? And even before and after that, right? From the moment that they come into your space, what are they experiencing? And how do you put yourself in the shoes of the attendee? Because very often as businesses as brands, we have the hat of the host, of the organizer, of like the content. And we're not so often stepping into the shoes of the actual attendee. So this for me was really, really important was to look at it from that lens and that perspective. And also, I would say one of the critical things is to get really clear on the intention. Like, why am I doing this event? You know, you talked about this at the very top of like understand what events can do for your business, like being really clear, like, why am I doing this event? What is it that I want my people to experience? What do I want to experience for myself? What are my goals? What is the journey that I want to take people through? What do I want them to walk away with? So these for me are like really, really essential questions that when you start with that clarity of intention and just delivering an absolutely incredible experience, whatever that might be, that then informs and guides everything else. You know, your venue, your planning, your themes, your content, your speakers, all of that. So for me, it's so important to get really clear on the intention and to be very clear on what is the intention you want for your guests. That's very interesting. There's a couple of things I want to unpack from what you said. And picking on this last point of intention, is there such a thing of putting together an event with bad intentions? And if the opposite of that is good intentions, what could be examples of good intentions we should be thinking about? Yeah, you know, I'm just going to say it, but I think some people, there are events that are purely enrollment events, and they're kind of this bait and switch thing where they say they're going to be valuable and really they want to sell you something. Really all they care about is like the profit or the money. That for me is not having a pure and good intention, right? Like for me, the experience comes first and the profits are a byproduct of delivering an incredible experience. So that for me is like a bit of a distinction. Of course, some people will say, well, like going into it with profits being the end goal is like not bad. But when it trumps the experience For me, personally, it's a little bit questionable. So that would be an example, perhaps, of like a bad intention is taking the focus off of the actual experience and the value that you're delivering. And so in opposition to that, what would be a better way to actually set an intentions if it's not going to be set? Just it's interesting because it's almost like you're putting the outcome as your priority, but it's actually the experience that's going to create the outcome that you want, not the goal of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So your goals I mean, events can have all different kinds of goals and intentions. Of course, it could have a financial goal, and that's totally okay. There could also be an intention that you want to have bigger impact. You want to reach more people. There could be an intention that you want to deepen your relationship and your connection with your clients. An intention could be you want to create more clients. An intention could be that you want to deliver your most potent, profound work that you know works best in a live setting with your event. An attention might be that you want to build tribe, community, connection 
amongst your brand, amongst the attendees, right? So these are all different kinds of intentions that you could have for your event. And of course, there's many, many more. I love that. And just piggybacking on this is the fact that you speak about community and tribe. And this is something I've already been sharing a lot with this podcast is that's kind of a very powerful layer before having someone become a client. There's like an opportunity for people to be a part of a community or a tribe. And I'd be curious to know, like, how important do you see that element when you're building an experience within an event? I see it as one of the, if not the most powerful aspect of events is that community and connection. You might know this, and this is something I say often, but you know, at A-Fest, we had such a high number of repeat attendees. I mean, sometimes 60%. And I was so curious of like, what is it that has people coming back again and again? And so we polled them and we asked them. And the number one reason was not the content or the speakers. It was not the gorgeous destinations that we were taking them to or the five-star hotels. The number one reason that people were giving for coming back again and again to the event was tribe and community. They had found their best friends and the event had become the vehicle for them to be reunited with their favorite people. So I find events to be so, so powerful for building community and and connection. And for me, I think that it's just almost impossible to replicate that in an online setting. Like there's just nothing that beats that face-to-face connection. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, just like I said at the beginning, I think there's a massively beautiful opportunity right now because if it was already something that's so special, it's even more special now that we've been separated for so long. I'm seeing events sell out so quickly. People are doing retreats and people are having success doing that. So if we are taking this path, we've acknowledged that, okay, I want to go down this path. I know that I have the intention that perhaps I want to get closer with my clients. Perhaps I want to make sure that I create uh, new stories or I want to build some new footage of showing what happens when people come through life. Transformation that can lead to testimonials. I'd be curious to know, like, what should be the first things I should think about if building a live event is something that I have plans for? Yeah. So after getting clear on what your intention is, I would get clear on a few logistical things like where is it? How many people? What are possible dates for it? Right. So like I like to start with like the big picture, like essence and vision and the high level things and then really ground it into more like practical details, dates, location, how many people. Um, And then from there, what I recommend is starting to put together a really rough budget to make sure it's financially feasible and to make sure that you're entering it in a way where it's going to make financial sense. I see too many people just kind of jump into events without having a solid strategy around it, without having a solid plan or budget or predictability of knowing how much they're going to make. And events can be risky. You know, they can be financially risky. You can be quite exposed if you overshoot. So I like to start with a small budget and start to set your ticket prices and think about how many people it would be and make sure it's like financially feasible and then go from there. Do you have like any kind of rule of thumbs for anybody trying to do their first events if they should be going for a certain number or should they be trying a certain style of events that might limit that risk? I get this question often. And the thing is that it really, really depends on the brand, right? The brand or the business. And what I would say is be realistic, be ambitious, but also realistic. How many people do you have on your list? How big is your community? How engaged are they? How used to buying from you, are they? If you don't have an email list, you don't have a community, you haven't been regularly selling things to them, 
Well, then I wouldn't start with a 200 person event. You know, I would start with an intimate, you know, 10 person retreat or something like that, or even like a one day workshop that then becomes a weekend workshop that then becomes a retreat, right? Like this is one of the mistakes I see people make is they have no list, they have no community and they're like, yeah, I want to create a 300 person event. And I'm like, uh, you might want to rethink that because that just leads to all kinds of problems. Well, that's definitely a reality check that I think we want to make sure is in place. But I'd love to also look on the other side, which is who are some of the people or types of people that don't even know that live events could be something they add? Like what would be the profile of someone that's like, oh my God, if they could only do a live event, like you have an email list, you have a brand, but you've never done it. And what would those steps look like to discover its possibility? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have a list and you have an established business and you have clients, I think events can be a no-brainer for you. Um, and it would be really interesting to to poll your community, to have conversations with them of like, what kind of event would they love to have? Would they love it to be a three-day business conference? Would they love it to be a one-week retreat? Would they love for it to actually be something online so that they can join from anywhere? Um, but I would say if you're a coach, if you're a service provider, if you are already, um, you know, you already have an established business and you have a list of people that are just waiting for the next thing, like absolutely events could be such a beautiful piece to add into your product suite. I love it. So I know for you, one of the biggest things you focus on is really leveling up the kind of magic that happens at events. And I'd love to get a little tactical with you here because for someone who might be at a space, they're like, you know what? I've been doing events or I've been thinking about doing events. They've been okay, but I also look at the things that have been produced, whether by Mind Valley or by other major transformational brands, and they seem to have that sizzle, that spark, that wow factor that I just can't seem to recreate in my own events. And I'd be curious to know when you work with clients and they might have that kind of issue, what are some of the easy things we might want to add in our thinking process that would allow us to have that extra magic? Yeah, definitely. So one that we already touched upon is connection. How can you weave in more opportunities for people to connect with each other at your event, after your event? How can you connect them even before the event? Really focusing on asking yourself the question, how can I create more connection and community at my events? And really focusing on that. I think you will get tremendous value out of that. Um, another thing is, is looking at your budget for your event, you know, like, if you have razor thin profit margins, you don't have so much to reinvest into the experience, into you know creating those magical moments, whether that's through decor or entertainment or a big like wow opening moment or you know better AV production. There's so many things, but I find that when you have a healthier budget, it just really helps to elevate the experience because you have money to invest into it, right? So I always encourage my clients to really look at the profit margins that they're having and to not be afraid to increase those and to get strategic in terms of how can we have better profit margins? How can we better reinvest some of the funds into the experience itself? So healthy budgets, focusing on connection. Yeah, those are a few that come to mind right away. You know, I have to share memory and I don't know if we were still working together at this time or not, but I was taking a leadership role within the events team at Mind Valley, And I remember the first things that I always wanted to do was to raise the price of the events. 
And there was a lot of resistance actually from the team. They were like, oh my God, like if it gets so expensive, like we don't know what we're going to do. But at the back of my mind, I always knew that if you can raise the prices, then your budget becomes so much bigger that you can actually spend on some more extraordinary things. And I think one of the most magical moments that most people speak about, I think you still hear stories about, and I know you had a big role to play with that, is Costa Rica closing party. <laughs> I always hear about this one. <laughs> so that's interesting because that has to be what, seven years ago, eight years ago? And, you know, I still have memories of a giant sloth DJ booth, massive fireworks, glow in the dark drums. And this is stuff that people think about, talk about amongst each other six, seven, eight years further. And it's very interesting because it could seem like a very expensive expense, yet you've created something that allowed to have referrals, better marketing, and then the brand still gets, call it impressions, years after. So, how did you go about to justify these kinds of expenses? And have you seen this kind of long-term ROI? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I occasionally still get messages about that event, you know, what, eight years later, which is just crazy. And I really feel like that was a spectacular event in terms of like the conceptualization and all the extra touches, the artists I was able to find on the ground there the art, you know, it was really incredible what we were able to create at that event. So, sorry, what was the question? Is it, <laughs> <laughs> I got excited thinking about the event. <laughs> we're all having flashbacks of this amazingness, but no, to get back to it was to understand like, I'm telling you, and we're having a conversation about this. This is like long-term benefits that happen from doing this experience. It costs a lot of money. And so do you have any ways of quantifying the ROI or that you explain to people how this can bring long-term benefits? Yeah. I mean, I think when people are talking about your event or your brand years later, it's one of those things where it's hard to quantify with numbers or something like that. But I mean, again, if you look at the statistics of how many repeat attendees you have at an event, you know, I think that's a really good metric. Like, are people coming back for more? Are people, you know, then enrolling in being a member of your community? Are people coming back and now bringing their friends and their spouses and, you know, their families, which happened really, really often? Are people then buying other products of yours? Like all of these things, I think, help measure ROI. What kinds of amazing testimonials are you getting out of it? What kind of amazing photography, videos? You know, I think in AFES, we really invested heavily, not invest in the sense of finances, but like with intention of really having epic photos and videos that help sell future events, right? And then everybody's like sharing them and it just really creates all this buzz and momentum of people sharing it. So absolutely, I think that when you deliver epic experiences you create loyal brand fans. You just do. And that will come back to you in a variety of ways, you know? And not only that, but I really truly believe it has like such a beautiful ripple effect on the world because you're impacting not only the people that are attending your event, but those people go back to their communities and then they're, you know, they're doing something different. They're, I mean, there's been so many people that have been inspired by the events that I've organized or AFES that then go create like their little mini events. And so the ripple effect is really incredible. And I find the people that work with me, like, yes, profit is of course a priority, but really like these are people that want impact, you know, they want to make the world a better place. 
that's what really drives them. And I think like, again, events are just such an incredible vehicle for delivering connection, transformation, a beautiful experience, and one that lives on and on and on, like beyond what we can even understand. I've often thought to myself, like, I actually have no idea the impact that I've had because I think it just ripples on and on, which I just find to be really beautiful. It is beautiful. And for those who are familiar with the framework of selling with love, the first love we fall in love with is always the impact. And thinking about the ripples is such a powerful exercise we encourage everyone to do, to be empowered to go and sell, to understand why it's important for you to follow up, important for you to do the processes that are necessary for people to find about your event, to discover how to make purchases, and to go through that whole process of selling out that event, which I know is something I speak a bit more about. But I was going to ask you, because the complexities around running an event can be intimidating. And I'd be curious to know for people that are looking to put together their first event, is it something you should put in the hands of professionals? Is it something we can do ourselves? And do you have an opinion on using one over the other? Yeah, again, it really depends on so many different factors, including how big is your event? What is your experience? This kind of thing. But of course, I'm a huge advocate of getting support, you know, whether it's somebody like myself, who's a strategist, or it's a producer that's going to handle all of the details and logistics so that you could stay focused on like the bigger picture or delivering content or whatever your zone of genius is, right? If events happens to be your zone of genius, and you're good at it, and you love it, and you have capacity for it, then you can do it or you can learn it. But I'm always an advocate of getting support unless, of course, you're in the earlier stages, you're organizing a more intimate retreat for 15, 20 people. You know, that's something that I think you can totally handle on your own. Above that, I would say it's absolutely worth investing in getting support and yeah, just minimizing the risk, the headaches, the stress that comes with live events, like you mentioned. I'd say either hire support to take you along the journey or go find a job in events so you can experience internally what it's like at the risk of someone else. Because, yeah, going into that, it can be a little intimidating. But as you've mentioned, there's so many offset benefits that come from it and it becomes a beautiful thing once it's properly executed. I do have some of my students that knew you were coming on, had some questions for you. So I did want to kind of go into a bit of a case study. So one of my members, his name is Jose, and he's actually planning like a four-day retreat and for a platform that you might be familiar with, Lifebook. And um, he's trying to understand, like if you're organizing an event, say like a retreat, a multiple-day retreat, and there's a lot of learning, but you also want to make it fun. Is there a certain ratio from learning to fun that you have to play with? Or are there some rules of thumbs that can support someone who's trying to plan out their curriculum? Yeah, I love that question. So a framework that I really like for this is the idea of appealing to the head, the heart, and the hands. So what happens is that we very often focus on the content, the learning, giving people information, and it gets very, very heady. And we forget that actually you want to give people something to do, right? That's the hands part. The hands is make it immersive, make it experiential, give them something to actually do, whether this is as simple as turn to the person next to you and share your biggest insight or take five minutes to journal your non-negotiable action points or, you know, whatever it is, get people actually doing something and not just sitting there consuming information and content all day long. That's very tiring and it's also boring. And the heart is the connection piece, right? It's connecting them to themselves, connecting them to other people, connecting them to something bigger, the life vision, the business vision, whatever 
the heart and soul is of your event and making sure that you're giving people that time and it's not just so information heavy. That would be one of my recommendations. And just breaking up big blocks of time. I'm such a fan of the whole, you know, connective exercises that I recommend putting this into every block. So if you have like a morning session, I would include some sort of connective facilitation or exercise there. And if you have one in the afternoon, I would do it there as well. And that just helps break up some of that like information heavy content. That's like a very loose rule of thumb. Well, it definitely gives us at least something to work with. And I think for that, you've said it a few times, and I'm going to quote you on this, is that there's so many variables when it comes to events. So giving any kind of rule of thumbs or advice happens to be almost in an empty vacuum because you could be talking about a four-day retreat, which was one of the constraints here. You could be talking about a 90-minute seminar you know, that's being done very quickly. And so the scope of what is possible with events is huge. And I'd be curious to know, like when people come to you, because I know you guide a lot of people when it comes to their, you know, event creation, their priorities, their intentions and all of that. Do you have like a more common roadblock that people face when they're about to get started with events that they may not be prepared for? Yeah, it, again, it really depends on the person, you know, because I work with everyone from solo entrepreneurs that are, you know, running retreats and want to expand internationally to eight figure brands, you know, and the set of problems that they have are quite different, right? In the earlier stages, sometimes there's mindset stuff. Sometimes there's pricing strategy fears, what you talked about, raising your prices. You know, there's fears of sales. I don't want to be too salesy. You know, you know that one very well. At a much higher level, it's like, how do we make this truly unlike anything else that there is? How do we keep retention extremely high so that we don't have such turnover rate? It's just a different set of concerns depending where you are, because again, there's just such a huge spectrum that you can fall in. Yeah. I have to share one thing which comes from my book. And it was the opening chapter was a story of us consulting someone that was looking to plan their events. And they had this stress, right? Because they wanted to pay their speaker because they didn't want their speakers just to come and pitch their products. They wanted them to deliver genuine value. And so she had this value of wanting to pay her speakers well, but she was struggling because her price point for events couldn't afford for payment of the speakers and the tickets weren't moving that much. And, you know, speaking to one of the mindset issues that I see a lot of beginner starting off you know, getting into events is that fear around sales, fears around pricing. And what happened is I helped them craft an email that basically shared their values about wanting to bring great content and actually pay the speakers, which means they were going to double the price of their tickets, but allow a last call for anybody to pick up tickets now mm. at the current price. I and love that. it ended up being a spectacular email campaign that sold out the event. And again, that was like, such an interesting thing when it came to the power of intention that you spoke about at the beginning, because for them, the intention was to make sure that it was quality content and not a pitch-a-thon, because that's also a type of event that we probably don't advocate for as much, because we might have been to those where it's like pitch after pitch, and you're like, what am I doing here? 
Listen, it's been so fantastic to catch up with you and to talk more about events. But what I want to suggest for everyone listening to this is I want you to go to tanyalopez.com. We're going to put a link into the show notes so you can discover more about ways to work with Tanya. If events have ever been on your radar, is something you've been wanting to maybe do better or even get started with doing, she'll be a massive resource that can give you ways to get started, consult you along the process. And of course, Tanya, thank you so much for coming here to share. There's one question I ask everyone who comes on the show, which is, what does selling with love mean to you? Oh, I love this topic. And I feel I could talk about this for a long time. But I would say selling with love for me is loving what you're offering. It's first loving what you are creating so much that it becomes so easy for you to sell it because you yourself believe so strongly in it and you're so lit up and excited by it and you believe in it so much. And so then it's just natural because it's just basically having a conversation where it's like, I'm doing this amazing thing and I would love for you to be a part of it. And they're like, hell yeah. And it becomes this beautiful exchange. That for me is like the first thing that comes to mind. And I agree with that statement as definitely something that we support here at Selling with Love. Tanya, once again, thank you so much for coming to share. For everybody tuning in, here's some of the key things I picked up from our conversation here. Number one was just the understanding of how intention plays such a powerful role in our decision, not only to if do events, but what kind of events we want to do. We spoke about how the opportunity is really, really good right now to create a space where people want to physically connect. Tanya spoke about, and I totally agree, that digital experiences just can't quite match the physical experiences that really leave a lasting impression. Tanya also spoke about how these long-term benefits that come from creating these unique experiences are often difficult to quantify in the moment, but when you start realizing that the brand impression and the longevity of the message that comes from a live experience can actually pay dividends for those who are playing the long game. Whether you're just getting started or you have a budget set aside for some intentions which might be to nurture your community, get better engagement, retention, whatever it is the goals that you have set for you to decide to do an event it is a powerful vehicle it is one that definitely can be added to your product mix and can be done from as little to as big as you want so be curious about it play with it and if you are planning to do some of your first events well of course get in touch with tanya she might be the co-pilot that can support you on the journey tanya once again thank you so much for coming and sharing on the show and for everybody tuning in keep selling with love especially with events <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Jason. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.